Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike Pownall. Welcome to Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. And I'm pleased to have joined me a good friend, uh, known for a few years, uh, Dr. Karen Bolton from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Welcome, Karen. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I always ha- enjoy having a chat with you. The reason why I, I wanted you to be part of the podcast is you had a great practice and then you made a big life change. And I thought, you know what? It's really interesting. And I thought this life change, professional career change has given you some interesting perspectives. So I won't steal your thunder. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, the practice that you had and uh, what you did differently? I'm definitely in a very different period of my life right now. I came down to uh, Myrtle Beach from Ohio. I'm an Ohio State grad and I moved down south for the weather. (laughs) Um, As a large animal vet, it's much nicer to work outside when it's uh, warm during the winter than when it's cold, like where you live. I don't know how you do it. I give you a lot of credit. I worked for another vet down here for two years. It was a satellite clinic. I was the solo vet down here. And I ended up buying the clinic from him after two years. And I bought the clinic, but I ended up kind of just letting his clinic go and opening up my own business entity and starting fresh. And then my clinic was open for almost, it was like seven, eight years. And then I decided to sell it. So I know that's kind of a non-traditional way to do things. I'm not very old, I guess, to have originally started the clinic and then uh, sell it at that age. But I got very interested in the business side while I was running the clinic and it was just time. So um, I definitely see things in incredibly differently now. I decided I was going to go to business school once I sold the clinic. So I was just talking the other day about how I'm seeing things now that I'm in business school. And everything is so black and white when you're in business school. It's just profit and loss and numbers and there's no emotion attached. Now, I know you understand what I'm talking about because you've been through it too. Whereas when you're in the vet field, you know, you have fluffy animals staring at you and you get all these emotions attached. And it's very interesting to see things from this perspective now. And everything was very blurry, I guess. And I had such a hard time making decisions about things when I was a practice owner. And now everything's just crystal clear. Like, why did I not do things differently (laughs) when I was a practice owner? It's definitely interesting to see things from this perspective now. I mean, it's just... So what are some of the things you wish you knew then that you know now? What I'm majoring now is marketing and and management. In the management area, I like operations. So those are my areas of interest. So pretty much everything in those areas that I know now, I wish I knew back then. I've gotten much farther in the marketing side in my classes than I have in the operations thus far. So I think I thought I was good at marketing, especially like on the social media side back then, because I was really into social media when I was a practice owner and I thought I was good at it. And it turns out I could have been doing so much better (laughs) about it uh, back then. You know, I should have been using ads much better. I think I thought the visuals were much clearer than they were. The messaging was much clearer than it was. I just thought I was doing better than I was. I think I thought I knew my audience better than I did. And it's too hard to explain unless you've kind of gone through all the schooling. But 
I think what it really comes down to is I wish we had more business schooling during vet school. And I know there's only so much time for so much during vet school, but. <laughs> no, I 100% agree with you. And I, and I think, you know, boy, if we had an extra year, we could do so much more, <laughs> not just with business education, but uh, medicine as well, too. Yeah. It's funny you talk about if we can do a little divergent on marketing. And, and you know, I did my MBA five years, four years ago now. I graduated and it really opened up my eyes that, you know, as veterinarians, we love tactics. Like We just like to go do something. Mm-hmm. And we don't spend enough time when we do the business aspects doing the diagnostics in terms of, like you said, who's the audience I'm trying to speak Mm -hmm. to? Is it a particular type of the audience? Am I talking to cat owners or dog owners? Yeah horse owners, they're all different. And within each of them, there are subspecies of, you know, if I have dogs, do I want to talk to the ones that have the geriatric pets? Or do I want to talk to people that have the athletic dogs? And then the messaging and trying to, you know, it's not enough just to talk about how cheap we are or uh, what equipment, you know, it's funny, veterinarians love talking about the equipment and the technology (laughs) they have. Because we're obsessed with it. Yeah, but the clients aren't. No, they think all vets have the same DR system or dental instruments. And that's heartbreaking to us. <laughs> oh, terrible. You know, I talk to people about their web pages, and often it's a picture of their building or it's an aerial of their building. And I'm like, clients no. really don't care about that. They want to know yeah. who the people are. Or then they'll have pictures of, of their vets in surgery with their faces <laughs> covered up with, you know, surgical masks. Yeah. And it's like, no, they want to see the people that are going to yeah. be handling their pets. And, and as vets, we're very uncomfortable with that. I love this subject. Basically, what you're talking about is target marketing. So market segmentation and then turning that into target marketing. And this is absolutely at the foundation of marketing. If you don't know who your target market is, you're basically building the entirety of your business on a mystery. This is one of the biggest things that I wish I would have well, even known existed, but better understood, I guess, when I was a practice owner. Like I I knew roughly who my clients were, but I wish I knew about the process of market segmentation and then target marketing when I was a practice owner. Because I, I would have been fascinated by, by the process because I'm currently fascinated by it. But if I would have gone through this whole process, I think I would have been a much more, uh, sorry, a much less anxiety-filled veterinarian practice owner when I was practicing. Because once you go through the process of figuring out who the best client is for you and you're focusing just on them, you've kind of gotten rid of all those excess clients. And you're a happier vet. You're not focusing on these clients who you don't really want. Uh, and then you're marketing just to the clients that, that you do want. So this is one of the, one of the biggest things that I wish that I did know specifically about. You know, it's interesting because, you know, as most veterinarians, well, most small business owners, we want to, yeah, exactly. we don't want to say no to anybody. And the hardest part about developing your strategy or marketing is that making that choice of who am I saying no to? Like, there are certain clients yeah. you just shouldn't deal with. You know, I look at on some of those vet to vet business Facebook groups, and so many people have a lot of angst, and it's probably mm-hmm. the anxiety you're talking about that you had. And I just wish, you know, a lot of them would be very simply solved if they just learned to say no. Yeah. That no, you're not my type of client. And, you know, it's hard without knowing the circumstances. Yeah. It might be a very small community, and you don't have the luxury of saying no. You know, in my own business, when we realize that, you know yeah. what, we are not for everybody. This is our audience we're going after, and we can say no. I'm it's made our lives so much better. A course right now. It's actually a, a course for branding. But one of the weeks, I guess. <laughs> I haven't decided what I'm going to call call the divisions yet, but it's on target marketing. And I was trying to think of 
like an industry or something to compare it to. I decided to compare it to car dealerships. And I was trying to think of like, what would a ridiculous comparison be for a car dealership? And I was like, what if a car dealership sold everything from a Rolls Royce and then every model down to like a beat up van with its headlight falling off? And compare that to what vets do. And that's what a majority of vets do. They offer everything from like the top of the line orthopedic surgery to like a free service for like the client who can't afford anything. And car dealerships don't do that. They sell like one brand or they sell like exotic imports or motorcycles. Or, well, I guess that's not a car. But <laughs> what we basically do as vets for the most part, like the generic primary vet care service would be the equivalent of a car dealership selling the Rolls Royce down to the beat up car. And that would be ridiculous to see a car dealership doing that. And if we think of it from that mm-hmm. perspective, if, if we would look at another industry doing that, that would seem crazy. But we do that all the time. And I think if we look at our own industry and try to turn our own businesses into what another industry does, it would make more sense because no car dealership would be successful if they did that. They're going to be more successful if they're selling just the Rolls Royce because the Rolls Royce clients are going to come in to a dealership who's just selling that because, you know, they're going to kind of alienate their Rolls Royce clients if they have beat up cars in the parking lot or they're selling just the middle of the line cars or they're selling just the used cars or things like that. So there's no right or wrong answer. No, no. Well, there's two things that come out of that. One is that we also think about as veterinarians is that we're competing with every other vet Mm. and we're not because there are some that do the spay neuter clinics. They're not the same people that do high end, you know, let's say uh, more in depth orthopedics, you know, the spay neuters, you know, that's all they do. So you're really not in competition generally. And I think that's, you know, is understanding that, you know, if you have that segment of the market that you want, you're competing with others maybe in that segment. So, you know, you talk about the Rolls Royce, they may be comparing themselves to McLarens or some other high end or Lamborghinis, for example. But yeah, they're, you know, Hyundai does not come into the conversation. Hyundai are great cars on their own, but that's just not even the model. The other challenge as veterinarians, this is one of the things that I'm challenged with is that when we start to segment so much, though, it is much more enjoyable to deal with the people that want to pay their bills, want to have a great relationship with the veterinarian. That's wonderful (laughs) in an ideal world. And I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate here. But the other side of it is, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, they love Mm -hmm. their animals. They want to do well by them. They don't have the resources. How do you marry the fact that in a community that you might have to deal with those almost, let's call them rescue cases or almost charity cases. And then on the flip side, you're dealing with the high end clients that will pay whatever it takes because this pet is part of their family and they have the disposable income. Have you wrestled with that dichotomy at all? From my personal perspective, are you talking in general? Because I think it kind of depends on where, where you live. Just in general. The area that I'm in, uh, we don't have a ton of high-end clients. You know, this is one of the difficulties with why I chose to do what I did. You know, I'm in a lower, I would say lower income area too. We do have some middle of the road clients and I'm struggling with words because it's really hard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just really hard. You know, you want to you wanna do what you can for these clients, but at the same time, you want to pay the bills. And 
I became less of a pushover <laughs> through the years. You know, I am a soft-hearted type of person. I killed myself physically and mentally over the years trying to do the best I could for, for these animals. I mean, I, at the heart of who I am, I... I like old horses. I like the most disastrous rescue cases. I mean, that's the type of horses I like to work on. So you can probably tell, tell um, you know, financially <laughs> where I invested my, my time and money. It is hard to be successful financially as a business when those are the type of cases that you like. But I don't know. I, I really honestly don't know what the answer is. Yeah. What it comes down to, I, th- I think, is honestly the target marketing. You know, who, who are the clients for you? If those are your clients, you have to run your business that way. And you have to not have all the really expensive bells and whistles. And you have to not have your whole business set up at extremely high prices so that you can match it. I, 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 think, I think it always comes down to that. So I think that's probably the simplest answer answer to the question. So if there are two different segments of clients, there's probably two different businesses to serve them. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And I think that's one of the people, a lot of people, like. there are a whole bunch of new entrants to the marketplace, particularly in small animal that are just focused primarily on yeah. primary care. And they don't have x-ray systems. They don't have dentistries. They, you know, they have low overhead. They're lean. Yeah. They can still do high level of medicine, but in a very small segment. So they can deal with, let's say, these lower income clients or, you know, let's call them charity yeah. cases, which are, we're here to take care of the pets too. And so if, if you don't have your business encumbered with high rents and, you know, lavish leasehold improvements, trying to make yourself look like a really fancy place and all the latest toys and whistles, yeah. you can do a lot more at a lower price and it's great medicine. But you're really focused on a narrow, like, hey, I'm not doing the uh, in-depth diagnostics biopsies. I'm doing the primary care. And, you know, those clinics actually uh, serve a great point for us. I'm, I'm kind of yes. happy with them. A lot <laughs> I was going to bring this up. <laughs> back with the, you know, the, the Walmart-type clinics. They're fitting a niche. I actually just got off the phone yesterday. She's a writer for a magazine. And she uh, wanted to talk to me about the whole Walmart thing. And she had a series of questions about it, but I actually very much agree with you. So I know a lot of, of well, I guess mainly the small animal vets are really upset about the Walmart clinics opening up, but I don't think they're competition for the majority, the vast majority of the small animal clinics because they're a whole different business model. And I think they're probably going to be fulfilling a need for clients who currently aren't being served. And I know it's it's a bit of a hard corollary to make to the large animal field because they're not going to be serving large animals, but you know, they're a different business strategy than what currently exists. Walmart's as you know, they're a low-cost business strategy. Low cost, meaning that they get their products at low cost, not they're selling things to clients at low cost. But of course, because their costs are low, they can turn around and offer low prices to their clients. So the lower income clients are able to benefit from that. And as you just mentioned, they'll just be offering, you know, vaccines. I don't think they're doing any surgeries like spays or neuters. I think it's just like absolute bare bones of everything there. So they're not going to be um, taking away a ton of different services from regu- regular clinics. But I think what's being lost in the mix is that majority of vet clinics are not a low-cost strategy. They're actually a differentiation strategy. 
in that they need to be standing apart based on their services, not their prices. Most clinics can never, ever, ever compete against Walmart on their cost uh, or Amazon or, or even these online pharmacies because they can never beat them on on the cost that they're getting their, you know, buying their products on. So what the majority of clinics should be doing is competing on their services. So their customer service, you know, taking time in exams, just their relationships with clients, although you should never treat clients as, you know, best friends, (laughs) but, you know, your services should be where you're standing apart. So I think that's kind of getting lost in the mix, but I don't think people should be scared of these Walmart pharmacies because you're actually a different business strategy. But I think the other thing that's getting lost in the mix is that I think pets are actually going to benefit in the end because these pets are probably not being serviced by most uh, practices already. These pets are probably not not even making it into regular clinics too. So I'm glad you brought that up. No, that's a very good point. And I think, you know, we're worried about the pets at the end of the day. I think it'd be interesting for something like that to pop up on the the large animal side too. And I, I'm not sure quite how that would work just because, you know, obviously there's not as many uh, large animals existing in the world as, as cats and dogs, but it's interesting just to think about though. Because, you know, I think the need's there. Well, also geographically, I agree with you, but geographically, it's just hard to have that concentration of animals in one area. I also like to talk when I talk to people about the business of veterinary medicine, you know, you talk to some people and they're very negative about the future. They're looking at all the corporate groups moving in and these low cost clinics going in like we've just been talking about. While others are saying, you know what, we're in a transformative period for the vet industry and it's only going to get better. I've never personally worked in a corporate clinic, so I'll start with that. I definitely hear a lot of negative things about corporate. So... The problem is, is that I've never worked in corporate, (laughs) so I I don't have the personal experience. What I feel, though, is that there is a strong purpose for protocols, and protocols will only do a person's, a general person's practice good. (laughs) Protocols make practices more efficient. They will make them more profitable. They will decrease errors. And they will provide better service to the patients in the end. Why people tend to dislike corporate practices so strongly, I'm not sure where the the disconnect is. From what I understand, they pay a lot better. So it seems like people should like that because obviously incomes are not so hot in our field. (laughs) It seems like benefits seem to be better in them. I remember when I was in vet school... There seemed to be this feeling that the corporate practices maybe took away our freedom to make our decisions on our cases, and maybe that had to do with the protocols. But there's also a such thing as decision fatigue, and protocols take away some of that decision fatigue. And there's higher-level decisions, and there's lower-level lower decisions. And the higher-level decisions are like basically the harder you have to think, you just start getting tired. And the lower-level decisions are things that when protocols start taking away some of that hard work, you don't have to work so hard and you don't have to get, uh, get so tired. So there's definitely a benefit to some of the protocols. So well, it's like a lot of things in life. There's not a simple answer. It depends. It really depends. I feel like I don't want to say any names, but I feel like maybe some of them have a little bit more negative sentiment than others. I don't know if it's like HR problems or what. You know, I think hypothetically, 
there's good things about them. But in, in practice, maybe something's been lost. I think, I think for the patients, they're a good thing. For individual owners of small practices, I think that's also a problem. So I, th- I don't know if that's maybe played into it too, like small practice owners fight back against them because right. they feel like they're, they're coming and taking over their, their ability to operate uh, independently as small practice owners, like they're coming and taking over their territory. It's a complicated issue. I think coming from, from my perspective, you know, I was in a lower income area as a large practice owner. I found it very hard to make make a profit as a large practice owner, a, a large animal practice owner. And if I could have purchased in larger bulk quantities, I could have made a larger profit. That is where corporate practices can make more money. And if I could have been part of a corporate practice system, I could have made more money. That is where they benefit. I, you know, that's one of one of their benefits. So, no, it's a neat insight, and I'm, I'm glad I asked you that because uh, you you brought some insights that I haven't really heard before. So, thanks. One last question for you. So, uh, you're carrying on with your uh, your education. Where do you see you going with that? I know that's years in advance. I'm not sure. Do you know? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been really finding my feet over the past year and I've got a year to go. You know, I've got, I definitely have some long-term ideas, but you know, I, I do in the next year, I do have some important decisions to make. And like I said, I do have the interest of marketing and operations and a year from now, I need to figure out how to make an income. Being a independent business owner in the past, as I'm sure you can probably understand it, going back to working for someone else seems like a harder idea, but maybe I could do it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of feeling things out right now. I like the marketing side. I like the operations side. Mm-hmm. One thing I have been doing recently, I have been doing marketing research. I just finished up some for, for my classmate. I have been liking that side. I've used that to um, not only get some information for her to help her understand her clients, but I've been taking that, helping her figure out what to do on her operation side. We're redoing her website with all that information. So I'm kind of taking what I'm learning in school and using that with things I already know how to do. Like I already know how to build websites. So I'm kind of like taking everything I'm learning and putting it together with everything I already know. It's just this big, weird process that's going on right now. I don't know. I'm just putting it all together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's some great research that those who have a broader background and can bring input from different industries often can be more successful. So I think what you're doing is, is spot on. And I think having those outside experiences is allowing you to look at the industry with different eyes, which would only be beneficial. And I think you've got some great insights and whatever you decide will be wonderful for the profession. So I'd like to thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Thank you very uh, much for having me. Good luck. And I'm sure we'll be talking again. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.